Good afternoon and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by the great Barry Trammell. Barry, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm a little bleary-eyed because I stayed up and watched all the uh, post-game festivities from Los Angeles, but well worth it. It was a great night. Uh, I thought the... uh, I thought the game was spectacular. I thought LeBron was great. I thought the ceremony wasn't too over the top. Yeah, it's a little bit over the top, but not too over the top. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a thought it was a cool night for the for the NBA, and I thought it was a cool night for the Thunder, just to be a part of that. But they weren't swamped by it. They come back and uh, you know after a long break and and put the Lakers away in the fourth quarter. So I thought it was a good night all the way around. Yeah, it was. Uh, the Thunder win 133-130 to 130 over the Los Angeles Lakers. But the story of the night is LeBron James gets 38 points. He only needed 36. He did it in three quarters. Passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time leader in um, scoring in NBA history. Is that a record you ever thought would be broken? I uh, I didn't give it a lot of thought. I don't really think too much in terms of basketball records the way I used to think about baseball records. But I'm quite confident that if I had looked at it, I would have said it's possible but unlikely. Um, it was going to take somebody like LeBron, who's you know now in, what, season 20? Yes. Uh, and when you, when you look at that, you know, it's just a, it's a remarkable string of consistency, high performance. This is not the last, you know, Jabari's last two or three years. You know, he was sort of a shell of his former self. That's the way most guys are. LeBron's, he's not as good as ever. He's not as great as ever. But he's pretty dang close. And so it was going to take somebody like LeBron to play 20 years and average, you know, 70 games a year, 72, whatever he's averaged. I can't, I don't know. But, uh, well, actually, I do know he's averaged 70 games a year. So he's at 70 games a year, 25, 27 points a game. That's what it was going to take. Yeah, it's just been pretty incredible. Like you mentioned, he's not LeBron like he was a few years ago in those Miami teams, those late Cleveland teams, but he is still an effective player. What was your first uh, memory of LeBron as a player before we get into some of the Thunder stuff? Oh, I mean, I'd read about him. I'd heard about him, The Chosen, all that stuff. But in year number three for LeBron, that's the year the the Hornets came to town. And that Cleveland, I mean, yeah, the Hornets came to Oklahoma City. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, every NBA team came through here. And uh, Cleveland, Cleveland came to Oklahoma City. Uh, late in the year, if I remember right, it was, let me get a date here. Um, well, I can't find it, but, oh yeah, here it is. Uh, April 10th, 2006. And in he walked and I just was stunned at how big he was, which he's not as, he wasn't as big then as he is now, but how big and fast, of course, you know, if you grow up in Oklahoma, you have a football mentality. And I kept thinking, what a defensive end that guy would make. I mean, be unblockable, he'd be unstoppable, he'd be all those things. Quick, fast, massive, strong. 
and all the things that makes him a great NBA player. Um, but he uh, he came in, and I think they beat the Hornets that night. Uh, let's see. Yeah, 103-101. And I just remember thinking, everything they said about this guy is true because he's just different. He's just different from everybody. And uh, I'm with, he scored 32 points, had six assists that night, 12 of 14 shooting. Typical LeBron game. You know, he's never a gunner. He never had 35 points on 11 of 31 shooting. That's not. You know, Westbrook would do that. Kobe would do that. Some other guys, not LeBron James. So you could tell walking in, hey, the hype was legit. And, of course, that was like that was said, 17 years ago. Yeah, I think um, he even mentioned that he was a five-star recruit in football as a wide receiver and got offers from Ohio State. But, um um, we're all lucky he played basketball. It would have been interesting if he played football, but onto the Thunder uh, stuff in that side of the equation. Um, the Thunder did end up winning this game, and what you mentioned was an electric uh, environment, like big game environment for a lot of these guys, and Shea Gilders Alexander showed out with 30 points on 9 of 17 shooting, 11 of 12 from the line with four rebounds and five assists, and he did that all despite Patrick Beverly just trying to harass him. Yeah, and I thought... I thought SGA was much better last night after a series of games, some of which he played really well, but some games where he was pressing, some games where he was clearly frustrated. The Warriors could do that to people. Houston first game, he was that way also. But um, I thought he was more himself. He didn't really try to, he didn't try to force it too much. And uh, then, sure enough, he played very well, and um, you know, I thought I thought the uh, squad was very good. I didn't like the way they finished the last minute and a half, but outside of that, I didn't have too much. I didn't have too much uh, criticism for them. I thought, in a crazy environment, you know, potentially the NBA game with the most celebs ever there. Ever there. I mean, I, I I doubt we've seen many game sevens. With the A-list celebrities that were, you know, at uh, at Staples Center last night, Crypto.com, but um, and and you know, a TNT broadcast that was fixated not on the game but on LeBron, with a game ops, you know, clearly saying, "Hey, we're going to stop this thing when he gets to 36. We don't care, you know, if there's two seconds left in the game and it puts the Lakers up one, we're stopping." So. I thought they handled that circus atmosphere really well. I was very, very impressed with with how they did that. Same here. Yeah, it's the biggest game that a lot of these guys have ever played in. I mean, other than the guys like Lou Dort and Shea, who played in that game seven against Houston, and Shea played on those Clippers teams. Mescalos played on a couple playoff teams, but... All these other guys. I was just thinking about Usman Jang, who's 19 years old. LeBron has played in the NBA longer than he's been alive. Yep, that's right. And let's see. It's not Giddy's not much. Giddy, uh, that's almost true of Giddy. Yeah, uh, that's almost true of Giddy. So, um, yeah. So it's it's it was a remarkable se- uh, setting and circumstances. And the Thunder out there playing with, you know, three guys named Williams and two of them, two of them Jalen Williams and. Um, well, let's see. Let's see. We got we got uh, the, the Thunder started two rookies. 
and played one, two, three second-year guys. Is that right? Yeah, man. Wiggins. Man, Wiggins, and um, and Giddy. Is Joe a second-year guy also? I don't Joe think so. I think he's around in his third or fourth year. Third year? Okay. So, but anyway, it's uh, yeah, it was it was a bunch of guys who had every reason to have their eyes wide open and uh, and, and just mesmerized by the occasion, but they didn't do it. I thought they went out and played really well. Speaking of that, Josh Giddy seemed like, as you mentioned, played pretty well. Twenty points, ten of uh, nineteen, I think, on shooting and five rebounds, six assists. He had a couple sloppy turnovers, but he looked prepared for the moment. He had one of those really big finishes where he went straight through LeBron's chest. That was really impressive. Yeah, he's uh, you know he's getting better on the finishing, which he never was bad at it. But he he's really he's a guy that. Uh, you got to stop giddy, I think, before he gets to the basket. Now a lot of guys are that way, but he's got the he's got a, a knack for protecting the ball on the dribble. You know his his turnovers come from sloppy passes or or trying to make a big play, a fancy play. But for a six eight guy, you don't he doesn't lose the handle very often. And if he can get to the basket, you know he's up near the rim when he jumps. So one of those finishes, I think it was one of those looping, wasn't a hook shot, but one of those sort of looping arm shots over somebody. Might have been Huchamara or might have been LeBron. I can't remember. But that was really impressive. I thought Giddy played really well. He played 35 minutes. This was, to me, this was a game I think Mark Dagnall really wanted to win. You look at the numbers. Santa Clara played 39 minutes and 47 seconds. So he sets eight minutes the whole dang game. Uh, Arkansas-Williams who is, uh, you know, attempting to become uh, uh, as good as the, his namesake. Uh, he played phenomenal, I thought. Um, he, he was stood toe-to-toe with Anthony Davis, who um, I don't know. Somebody sent the Lakers a telegram and remind him, Anthony Davis is on your team. He played 30 minutes. You might, you might throw him the ball. He took fewer shots than, let's see. Let's see, here, here are the people in this game who took more shots than Anthony Davis last night. Um, uh, Schroeder, 10 shots. Uh, Mike Muscala and Isaiah Joe took more shots than Anthony Davis. Um, Santa Clara took more shots than Anthony Davis. He was 6-9 last night. I mean, what are, you do- what are you doing? I mean, I love Arkansas Williams, but he's not, he's not shutting down Anthony Davis. Get the guy involved in the game. So... I thought it was a very strong game. Whatever the Thunder did neutralize Anthony Davis, you know, hats off to him. Uh, so if you if you go into a game with the Lakers and you don't you don't let Anthony Davis get your upper hand, they don't have enough depth that somebody else is going to come through and and, uh, and and get things done. Yeah, he only had 13 points. I think he was a little bit dis- disoriented by the Thunder starting the Williams trio, which is the first time they've ever done that. But uh, Jay Will from Arkansas was awesome. He hit a bunch of threes, which was really impressive, which was definitely out of character. I think he's shooting just like an unreal percentage. But overall, the biggest uh, takeaway I had was this was Santa Clara Williams, J-Dub, his coming out party where he was just awesome in that game. Oh, um, And he had, let's see, 25 points, 10 of 19 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3, Seven rebounds, two assists, and six steals, Barry, while he guarded LeBron James. And I thought a pretty 
uh, I thought he was pretty effective in a lot of those minutes, despite LeBron having 38. Well, he's turning into really something. I read something that blew my mind yesterday. I don't know if you've read Bill Simmons' uh, trade value rankings. But, you know, he, he's got he's got uh, Santa Clara. I think he's ranked 51st or 44, whatever it was. He's got him high up in his value rankings, trade value rankings. He compared him to Jalen Brown. And, you know, Jalen Brown's a perennial all-star. But, you know, the Santa Clara's just got those long arms. And um, he's got a he's got a professional game. And the only thing you could say about him is his three-point shooting has not been very good. But he's three of six last night. And he's he's turning into something really spectacular. And I just, you know, I, I think that's just fantastic for the Thunder's future. But a guy like that picked 12 overall. Let's see what he's shooting from three now. He's up to, uh, he's at 31.6%. That's not good. He's got to get way better. Um, but there's reason to think he could and, and he might. You know, I don't think Jalen Brown uh, tore it up as a rookie. Uh, 34 34%. So, um yeah, it's uh, put the arrow way up on Santa Clara Williams. Yeah, I'm uh, optimistic about his shooting, too. He's a 42% three-point shooter in college, so I think that's going to sort of balance out. It is a different three-point ball, just the the difference between college and the NBA three-point line. It does matter, and it's going to take some guys some time to adjust, but it looks like he's doing that. Jay Will, who I mentioned earlier, six games. Over those six games, he started four times. He's averaging nine points per game, six rebounds per game, 2.3 assists. 58% field goal shooting. Barry, this is the incredible thing. 71% three-point percentage on 2.3 attempts per game from Arkansas Jay uh, Williams. Surely this isn't sustainable. No. I, I'm, not, I'm not even talking about his shooting. Just his entire game. I mean, look at that box score from this guy. He's put 30 minutes and he's got seven rebounds, seven assists. I mean, this is nuts. Um, I hadn't, you know, I, I don't think the Thunder is the Thunder has found their center of the future. But man, this guy, you know, this is bad news for. I got to tell you who this is bad news for. Jeremiah Robinson Earl. That's who this is bad news for. Because he, he looks like a better JRE uh, to me. Can do a whole lot, whole lot of things. So yeah, his development is stunning. Um, you know, the, the, the Jalen, it, it, let's put it this way. It was a great night for Jalen Williams, and it was a great night for the Thunder's Arkansas contingent. So uh, Isaiah Joe was phenomenal, too. Five of 10, I think he was. Five of 11. Five, five of 10 from three, scored 15 points. So, yeah, I I uh, and I was glad SG, SV, SVG, Stan Van Gundy, was on the call because he gave the Thunder some good props, I thought. Um, he didn't get completely swamped in all the LeBron talk. So I think America got to see some of what we've been talking about with with the likes of um, this this young Thunder core of Giddy and SGA and, and, uh, and uh, the Williams uh, clans and, and whatnot. So all in all, a fabulous night. It was a fun game, yeah. Uh, Jay Will, I don't think that's sustainable either. It's going to be interesting between him and JRE, like you mentioned. I think the center of the, uh, center of the future is still going to be uh, Chet. I think that's what they're all building around. But 
and your second uh, bench rotation, both those guys are extremely interesting. And you mentioned um, Stan Van Gundy. Very high praise for my, uh, Mark Dagnall. Said he should be in the Coach of the Year discussion. Even if he couldn't get Mark's name right, it was still very high praise from a guy who's made the finals and a very accomplished coach and Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, it's very nice. And, you know, he's he's right. Dagnall's not going to get any um, Coach of the Year consideration. But he has done a phenomenal job. I would say that all of the NBA, all of the NBA national media know who knows now who coaches the Thunder. I don't know that that was true last year or so. Even the guys really plugged in. I think they'd have to sit there and think about it. I think there's some. I think there's some NBA media covering specific teams in other markets. They would be have very hard pressed to remember who coaches the Thunder. And I would say not 10% of the NBA fans outside the state of Oklahoma can tell you who Mark Dagnault is. I'm not sure 50% of the Thunder fans can tell you that Mark Dagnault is the coach. But he's doing a phenomenal job. He really is. He's been awesome. Well, transitioning, um, tomorrow is the NBA trade deadline. I just wanted to ask you, do you expect any movement from the Thunder at the deadline? Uh, Are there any certain players you think the Thunder might move or players the Thunder should target on opposing teams? just because I don't think the Thunder has a plan for him. He didn't play last night. He's got a lot of DNPs. He just doesn't fit. He's he's very good defensively. If I'm a, if I'm a team that needs some uh, versatile defender, you know, I'd take him off their hands. I don't think the Thunder is going to get much for him. But offensively, just not not coalescing into the into the rhythm of this Thunder which is a shame because defenders like him don't come around very often. This guy that can protect the rim and switch out on the guards, out on the perimeter. So, um, But he just seems to stay in the doghouse. He's the one guy I could see going. Um, I would tend to think it's not likely that anything – I think it's likely that nothing happens, but if anything, I think it's probably Baisley going for whatever, a second-round pick. Uh, maybe somebody else's, maybe somebody else's issue. I don't know, but that's the only one I can see. The Thunder is not in the business of trying to improve this team right now. That's not, that's not their, uh, that's not their mission. That's not their desire. They don't even, they don't care about it. They don't want to do it. Yeah, they I'm just, in the they same. Want to, they want to see what they got, and that's what they're doing. I'm in the same boat with you. I think that Baisley is the only one who might get moved. And even then, it's going to be for something where the Thunder, as you mentioned, aren't trying to get better. They're not trying to take any long-term money on more than anything. So if they make a trade, maybe it's Darius Baisley. I heard the Kings had some interest. So maybe it's Darius Baisley for Alex Lynn's expiring contract and a second-round pick. Just something very minimal on the edges. The Thunder are not a team traditionally who makes a lot of noise. I mean, they have some different deadline deals they've made, like the Jeff Green trade. Uh, for Kendrick Perkins, NS Cantor, that move where they traded for him and then I think um, traded him away a different time to the... No, 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 that was the Carmelo trade in the offseason. But the Thunder have been active at the trade deadline, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. On the other side of things, it looks like we might get some big names moved at the trade deadline. Who do you think is the biggest name moved? Um, Beyond... Course, I think it's already happened with Kyrie. I think there's still a good chance Ananobi gets traded from Toronto. OG is very popular. 
you know, Memphis could make a move um, and get him. Um, I think Phoenix is still looking to do stuff, but I think Memphis is in better shape to do it. Maybe I, I guess that's my best prediction. I want to be to Memphis. I don't know what's going back in the trade, but um, but Memphis has some draft capital. They got a full roster, so that that's my that's my prediction, and um, that would fortify that would fortify Memphis because Ananobi's very versatile wing. I think he's up to seventeen points a game this year, so he's doing a, he's doing a very good job. I, I would guess that would be. That'd be my pick for most most likely trade situation. I agree. I had OG and Anobi at first. Um, I thought it was interesting with Memphis. I thought that was the same landing spot. With but with this recent drama coming out of Memphis and a little bit of controversy, I don't know that now is exactly the time. And with OG and Anobi, he's going to be a free agent this summer. So you trade for him, and you have to know that you're going to give him the entire Brinks truck. Uh, to make sure that he's going to stay there because he's going to have different options. As the trade market has already told us, there are a lot of teams who have a lot of interest in OG and Anobi. I mean, 3 and D wing players who can do a lot of different things are right now one of the more valuable commodities in the NBA. So it should be interesting. I went the opposite way with uh, something, and I had Fred, uh, <clears throat> Fred Van Vliet, who's had some rumors flying around recently of maybe going to the Suns for DeAndre Ayton among other things, or maybe to Brooklyn for a group of players to match salary and uh, draft picks. Well, you know, the, Van Vliet's a clearly a, 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 a sought-after commodity. I thought maybe Van Vliet to the Clippers might work because the Clippers are dying for a point guard. But I think I think Brooklyn can probably do a little bit more. Um, it's interesting, Toronto. You know, they, they had the 2019 title. Then they lose Kawhi, and you think rebuild. But no, they sort of rallied and, and solidified and had a good thing going. And going into this season, a lot of people had them very high. You know, top five or six in the East, and they've just sort of been sort of been middling, um, really behind the thunder all, all season. they got a lot of good players, a lot of similar players. Um, but Van Vliet is, is the outlier in that he's the – He's a little guy, the point guard, the, the guy that can sort of uh, runs the engine, and it's just for whatever reason it's not working. And the, the idea is that Toronto might very well uh, finally go into the rebuild. We thought when Kawhi left. Yeah, it should be a fire sale in Toronto. Should be really interesting. And then moving on from that, which team do you think would benefit the most from making a trade at the deadline, or needs it most for a potential push into the playoff or a long uh, postseason run? Well, here's the team I think could make a trade the most. And the team that I think could get Kevin Durant if they really wanted to. And that's New Orleans. Because they got a ton of draft capital. Now, they're always hurt. So, I don't know how that factors in. But they got some trade pieces. And, you know, New Orleans is good when they've got everybody. I mean, you're talking about Zion and Ingram and McCollum and I mean that's a uh, they got a bunch of good role players. That's a team. They got a, they got themselves a roster, but they've been cursed by injury and cursed by culture and whatever else going on in New Orleans. Um, a, a big splashy trade could could get things going. It's not the most well run organization. It's better than it used to be, but it's still not well run. Maybe they get antsy. Maybe they get. 
Maybe they get in a hurry. I tell you another team to look out for is Miami. Uh, Miami knows what it's doing. It can always get a guy a little bit easier than than some people. Uh, they often they often just wait till the off season and then get a guy um, because they know the free agency the free agency pull is is heavy. But Miami's a team that nobody wants to play. Nobody wants two weeks of Jimmy Butler. So they can do some. They can su- do some damage in the playoffs. Uh, they've done it before. They can do it again. But I would probably say New Orleans is the team. Sort of interested to see if they can, you know, sort of recharge those batteries with a big trade. I had the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think they remain just a wing away. But if they could move Karis Levert and some draft capital to Detroit for Bo- uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, I think that would really help them. He's averaging 21.4 points per game, but more importantly, he's shooting 42% from three on six attempts per game. I think putting a dead-eye shooter next to guys like Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen would really, really help their team and solidify them as the third te- uh, best team in the East. And I don't think they'd have to give up all that much, but I think that would really, really help their team push from, I guess, kind of the three, uh, the four, five, six sort of uh, jumbled up part of the Eastern Conference into a higher tier. They'd still be behind the Nets, not the Nets, the, behind the um, the Celtics and the Bucks, but they'd be among that like next tier. I think they'd be leading them if they had another shooter like Bogdanovich. Well, that would be that would be. Uh... That would be cool. Now, my only my main goal for the trade deadline is for, for both Bogdanoviches to end up on the same team. I think that would rival the two Jalen Williams as really freaking out NBA teams trying to scout and game plan and strategize. So that's what I'm hoping for. Both Bogdan, you know, the other ones in uh, where Atlanta, one's in Atlanta and one's in Detroit. I don't know if, if somebody could trade for both of them, get them on the same team. I. I'm only being about 35% goofy here. I really think a coach could screw with the other team. If he had two Bogdanoviches, put them on the court at the same time. Uh, you know, defenses would figure it out after the first three or four possessions of every uh, three or four seconds of every possession. But those first three or four possessions, when you're trying to figure out, do I have the right guy? Do I have the right guy? I think you get the jump on them. Uh, I, I think uh, I, 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 that's what I'm hoping for. Trade the Bogdanoviches to the same team. I've heard there's even another Jalen Williams in this upcoming draft cycle, so maybe the Thunder will have to go oh, three really? deep with Jalen Williams. Oh, be still my heart. How does he spell his name? Same as uh, Arkansas Jalen Williams, J-A-Y-L-I-N. Really? That's wild. That's wild. Where's he from? I think he's Florida State, but I'm not exactly sure on that. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess I could start calling a guy Florida State. What are, we, what are you going to do? Uh, but that would be fantastic. Come on, Sam Presti. Come and then on, draft him. I also had a pie in the sky Kevin Durant trade. Less than a 1% chance of this happening, but I'm of the opinion that whatever you think your championship window is, it's probably half as big. If you think it's five years, it's probably around two years. So I think Denver, if they pushed in all their chips and they moved Michael Porter Jr., Bones Highland, Christian Brown, and as many picks as needed uh, to get the Kevin Durant deal done, I think that would solidify them as the favorite in the NBA uh, for the title this year. What do you think about that? Um, I sort of like it. You know, I I didn't want Durant to win when he went to Golden State. I didn't want him to win when he went to Brooklyn. 
But if he goes someplace like Denver, a place that's never won, a place that's never made the NBA Finals, I'm not going to begrudge Kevin Durant. I'm certainly not going to begrudge the uh, Nuggets. Um, so I think I might make that deal if I was Denver. You said Christian Brown, Michael Porter Jr., and who? Bones Highland, and then as many picks as they need to get uh, to get it done. Yeah. I think Brooklyn's trying. It sounds like Brooklyn might be trying to get back to where it was four or five years ago. Good young core, except they won't have any draft picks or very few. Um, well, it'd be the they, same position they were in after the the Nets uh, the Nets Celtics trade with Kevin Garnett, right. where they moved all that. So right, yeah. If it, if that had just kept, you know, I still think back to Jared Allen, where they they gave away Jared Allen so that those. Those superstars could have uh, DeAndre know, Jordan, DeAndre Jordan on their team for no good reason. It just drives me nuts. Uh, Jared Allen's a wonderful player, star team. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't make that trade if I was Brooklyn, but I would if I was Denver. No doubt about it. We'll turn on like the NBA 2K video game force trade option on just to make it happen so we can get Jamal Murray, KCP, Kevin Durant, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic. I think that sounds like a ton of fun. <laughs> well, I, yeah, good luck defending the Nuggets if uh, if if you got Jokic and Durant out there together. Oh, my gosh, I can't even loud. imagine that. Can you imagine a, a Jokic and Durant two-man game where either of them can handle the ball or set the screen? Yeah, I don't know what you'd do. I don't know what you'd do. I, I, I would recommend six defenders. That's what I would recommend. That's a good idea. But I wanted to ask you about just some more historical context stuff. You're a basketball historian, so I like to throw some different things at you. Wanted to get your opinion on like the greatest of all time debate. Not that we're going to go through the Michael Jordan versus LeBron thing, but do you think that's a better way to do it? Or do you think that it's because recently I've been thinking about like the best of each era because each era is just so different and unique to each other that it's hard to compare Kareem to LeBron and different things like that. Yeah, here's the way to look at this, Michael. I think you have to define, what do you mean by greatest? There's really two ways to define that. Greatest at any one time or any, or any you know, short period of your career. Basically, judging the apex of your career. Now, I don't know that LeBron James, at his peak, would that have been late Cleveland, early Miami? I don't know. I don't even know. He's so great that it's hard to know when his best time was but whatever anybody wants to say it is i don't care was that as good as michael jordan at his peak i would say probably not probably not i'm not even sure it was as great as kareem in the early 70s uh um, would you like to know what teams did uh with kareem abdul jabbar in the early 70s i'd love to hear it they didn't do anything there's nothing you can do whenever all of america 200 million Americans that, if they care, could watch last night and they showed highlights of Kareem Skyhook. It's literally, when they say it's it's unguardable, that's a literal statement. You cannot guard a guy who shoots his release point is like, you know, 11 feet in the air. You can't, you, and, and he shoots it up from there, you can't guard it. So whatever on that, that's not the one I'm interested in debating today. But the totality of a career who has the greatest? I think it's clearly LeBron. We've never seen this before. We've never seen a guy in his 17th, 18th, 
19th, 20th year is either as good or close to it as he was in his fourth year, in his seventh year, in his 10th year. There's never been anything like this. He's averaging 30 points a game on efficient and, and efficient shooting. And he's still, you know, we can go ask about nine thunders last night. Everybody that ran into him. He hadn't gotten soft. And he's, it, it, it's unprecedented for a guy to be this good, this deep into his career. I actually think it's more impressive than Tom Brady at 45. Because the NFL protects quarterbacks physically. You really can't touch them. And the travel is relatively easy. Um, you know, you're playing 16 games and the games are brutal, but the quarterbacks, like I said, the quarterbacks are untouchable. LeBron's playing 70 games a, a year and then deep into the playoffs a lot of times. And, you know, the travel and the back-to-backs, and he's one thing you got – love or hate LeBron saluting. He's not into the load management craze. So what we're seeing is just – it's unbelievable for a, a demanding sport like basketball for a guy at age 38 to be very much the same player he was at 28. I think it's the greatest career in NBA history. So under the under the that that uh, definition of greatness, I think he's number 1 probably by a mile. I'd have to look at it. You know, Kobe was still really good at 35. Jabbar was still really good at 35. Chris Paul was still really good as is he 35. Yeah, I think he's, he's over 35, yeah. Yeah. But he was really good at 35 whatever. LeBron is still, he's he's all NBA at 38. Probably first team all NBA at 38. And we've never seen that before. He's the great, it's he's the greatest basketball player of all time when you look at the totality of his career. Yeah, like you mentioned, there are two different ways to look at it. It's the peak, who's the best of the best at all time. If you had one player, one season, who would you want? And then who's the greatest just by the totality of their career, just their entire uh, work. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think the GOAT debate's fun. I think it's also just a little bit irritating because you're then pinning these guys against each other and you're just like critiquing the most perfect basketball players of all time. And you're just ripping into them into the smallest little things of like, well, this guy in this one playoff series didn't do this. And to me, that is just not as fun to just appreciate a lot of these guys. And that's why I was... More of the opinion I've thought more and more of just like looking at it things where it's like Russell was the number one of his generation to Kareem to Burden Magic to Michael Jordan to Tim Duncan to LeBron now. No, that's and that's a good way. Um and it, you know, the, the one problem you have is if you if you use absolutes in your comparisons, like you know, people like to say Jordan six, LeBron four. Well, what are you gonna do with Bill Russell? He had 11 rings. So, um, you know, anybody who gets into absolutes, it's very difficult. Um, But I try to – it seems to me that um, most of these debates don't get into the analytical. They get into the passion. I mean, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in – 
you know, arguing with somebody that, that thinks Jordan or Kobe or whoever, you know, and, and came up with the polio vaccine. That's not in, that doesn't do much for me. So, uh, but I like your way that, it, and the game is so different for crying out loud. Um, you know, if Kareem played today, if Kareem played in the nineties, he would have gotten pushed around a lot more than he did in the seventies. If he played today, he wouldn't get pushed around as much. So, you know, there's, there's gives and takes on all that. Um, but it, I, I do think that LeBron's career is just is, is literally unprecedented for a guy to be doing. It's a monument to what we know about taking care of yourself. LeBron, like Tom Brady, is a freak about, you know, keeping his, his body in great shape. and. You know, salute to him for that. And he he answers the bell and he plays at the highest of levels night after night, month after month, year after year. So we got to see the culmination of that career last night. That's one of the things I was going to mention, just like how do you even possibly compare somebody like LeBron to Bill Russell and just the eras they played in where LeBron, you know, has a personal trainer, team trainer, nutritionist, weightlift coach. He puts over a million dollars into his body per year and all these other things. Whereas Bill Russell back then, they're traveling on trains in the middle of the night. Guys were smoking cigarettes in the locker room. <laughs> and uh, they're right. like 12 uh, teams in the NBA. Just like, how do you even compare that? So that's why I think the well, yeah. different eras is better. Yeah, in the 60s, they often played back-to-back-to-backs. And they're playing, you know, getting on a, they're playing in Cincinnati on a Friday night, getting up at 6 a.m. and flying to Philadelphia for a Saturday night game and then, you know, maybe getting on the train, go down to Washington for a Sunday afternoon game even. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they did. Didn't think anything of it. So, yeah, it's nothing like – it's nothing like – it's – the game is similar in some ways. The life, there's nothing at all similar about the life. The life is completely different. Well, and the job description is totally different. I mean, like you mentioned, there are some similar things in basketball, but yeah, you just plop Kareem into the uh, five-out system pace and space of the NBA now, or you drop LeBron into the packed paint, no shot clock era of the 60s. It's just a completely different equation, but it is just ridiculous to think about. I think it's a lot of fun um, that the NBA just has these generations of different guys who you can look of as the different eras who you know, guys who define those eras and the basketball that was being played then. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, I think that's a pretty good uh, ending point for us. I think that it's a uh, pretty arguments. I think it's uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Do you have any issues with that? Uh, well, I I do think you got to throw Russell and Wilt in there. Um. Will the only ba- the only thing wrong with Will is he had to share the decade with Bill Russell, and Russell was the greatest was the greatest champion, the biggest winner in the history of American sports, team sports. So uh, I w- I would want those two guys in the discussion as well. That's but I don't have a problem with the other three being being in the group also. We'll put them in there. Well, Barry, it's always fun talking Thunder basketball with you and just some NBA history. Thanks so much for coming on. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, I've uh, written a column already about the Kevin Durant to Oklahoma City trade stuff. Uh, it'll be up to today. Uh, spoiler alert, it's a bad idea. Um, 
And uh, I'm in the process of writing about some of the things we've talked about, about LeBron's big night and where he ranks in the pantheon of, of great NBA players. I'm looking so forward to my scissor. That'll be my scissor tales that'll post sometime this evening, probably. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. Thanks again for coming on with me. And thank you all to all of you for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast and supporting us. Uh, we will be back on Friday to talk about the deadline, some other things. Make sure to rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Follow us at Thunderbud uh, Pod on Twitter, and we will talk to you again on Friday.